I couldn't be religious and gay. It was impossible. I was being marketed as some sort of like teenage it girl. When a girl kissed me on my 18th birthday, a whole other world opened up to me. I was a minor nuisance. Eight Australians will tell you about the choices that have led them to unexpected places. These are some of the stories you will hear on Let Me Tell You, a podcast where real people tell incredible real stories. Look for Let Me Tell You and follow wherever you get your podcasts. We would like to offer our respects to the traditional owners of all generations upon whose lands this podcast has been created. We'd also like to acknowledge any First Nations listeners. I wrote my memoir in my uh, 20s, and I think like there's something particularly sociopathic about writing your memoir in your 20s. And But at the same time, I think, um, good on that previous version of myself. Hello and welcome to The New Writer's Room, a podcast for emerging writers. We're your hosts for the show. My name is Caitlin Chang and I am editor at SBS Voices. And my name is Sarah Malik, and I'm a senior writer and presenter at SBS Voices. So today we have a very special episode for you all, a recording of the SBS Voices Sydney Writers' Festival panel. What if my mum reads this? What an intriguing title. Sarah, you hosted this panel alongside writer and former SBS Emerging Writers Competition judge Benjamin Law. Tell us a bit about it. Yeah, this was just a great panel, honestly, Um, all about the joys and challenges of memoir writing. And I had the privilege of co-hosting this with the wonderful Benjamin Law and speaking to our previous SBS Emerging Writers Competition winners, Alana Hicks, Kat Yen, and long-listed writer Jackie Bailey. Jackie's just released a book, The Eulogy, based on her competition entry. So that was incredible to listen to them all and hear their insights into memoir. And the session was recorded back in May, one day after the federal election. So it was definitely a really special event. Yeah, I was um, lucky to be in the audience for this one. And it was actually the last panel of the whole festival before the closing address. And it was actually such an invigorating conversation, even though it was kind of the end of the festival, people were a bit tired. There was just this really kind of buzzing, amazing energy in the room, don't you think? Oh, definitely. I think that there was some BPE in this, some big panel energy. And the questions were incredible. Everyone brought their A game. So yeah, it was it was actually just marvellous. And I think it will be great for people to catch up on it if they missed it. And just a note that the audio is a live recording and has all the energy of a warts and all live podcast. So we hope that you enjoy it. Hello and welcome to the last and best session of the festival. (laughs) My name is Sarah Malik and I am senior writer and presenter for SBS Voices. And I'm so delighted to welcome you all here today to What If My Mom Reads This. Uh, (laughs) Woo! Yes! On the joys and challenges of writing memoir, and let's face it, the 2am panic attacks, I guess I would like to first um, begin by acknowledging the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, the traditional custodians of this land, and pay my respects to the elders, past, present and emerging. Also, I'd like to thank the session sponsor for this event, SBS Voices! Yes! Which runs the annual SBS Emerging Writers Competition. So you got to, you know, put your entries in there, please. So I'd like to introduce my co-host, Benjamin Law. 
Oh my gosh. Um, ben Law, author, speaker, man about town, former judge of the SBS writing competition, you know, EP, like he's done it all. Um, he's such an inspiration, I think, for someone like me coming up to show what's possible. You know, Ben Law, he's a journalist, he's a columnist, he's a TV screenwriter, and he's the author of the warm and witty memoir, The Family Law, about coming of age as a young queer kid in a family of five in 1990s Brisbane. Um, and so many people have told me that this was really a seminal book to have this book, uh, to read it. He's also the creator of the hit SBS series of the same name. So thank you so much, Ben, for being co-host. Appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much, Sarah. <laughs> thank you so much, Sarah. And can I just say it's such an honour to share the stage with you because Sarah's got a book coming out really, really soon, everyone. So look out for it. It's such a pleasure and honour to be here with you all here on Gadigal land, part of the great Eora Nation, and also to be on a country that is going to recognise and uphold the Uluru Statement from the Heart People. Just wanted to slip that in there. What a 24 hours it's yeah. been. Um, and such a thrill and honour to be sharing the stage with these wonderful writers here, and I'm going to introduce them from left to right. Um, so our first guest is the 2021 winner of the SBS Emerging Writers Competition with the piece Minor Details, her first published piece of creative writing. Now, I know it's the Sydney Writers Festival, not the Sydney Maths Festival, but that is a 100% strike rate when it comes rising to star, rising uh, entering star. competitions and winning them. Uh, she hopes to capture experiences of class, ethnicity and gender that are lived but not often articulated. Could you please join me in welcoming to the Sydney Writers Festival, Kat Yen, everyone. Woo. Next to Kat, we've got a writer and independent funeral director living and working on Dharawal country in the Illawarra. And her debut autofiction novel, The Eulogy, has just been released. But get this, so its official release is two weeks from now, is that right? But it's here exclusively available at the Sydney Writers' Festival bookshop. So please get a preview copy. Um, her debut novel, The Eulogy, has just been released. She's received numerous awards for her work and has a PhD in creative writing. And when she's not writing, Jackie spends her time working with families to navigate death and dying. Please welcome Jackie Bailey, everyone. And our final guest is a Sydney-based, PNG-born writer, director and multi-platform creative. She was awarded first place in the 2020 SBS Emerging Writers Competition and her actor-nominated short film, Chicken, continues to play at festivals at home and abroad. She just completed her first gig as a TV director and is currently in development on an original series concept about growing up mixed-raced in 1990s Australia. Please welcome Alana Hicks, everyone. Gosh, amazing. Um, I guess I'm going to start with you, Ben, um, oh. first, if that's okay. Um, look, you, you've basically been able to make a living from writing about your family, right? Yeah, sociopath. <laughs> uh, and I guess one of the lines that I loved in your book, and I'm going to read it, is, Mom snickered from across the kitchen. Ha! Huh? You want to have kids? She asked in Cantonese. Don't even bother. No one should have to have kids. If I had a choice, I wouldn't have had them. <laughs> it was hard not to take this personally. <laughs> You've said this before. I mean, you have to be, to be a bit of a sociopath to write memoir. Um, do you stand by that comment, Ben? Yes. Um, <laughs> look, I wrote my memoir in my 20s. 
And I think like there's something particularly sociopathic about writing your memoir in your 20s. And, but at the same time, I think good on that previous version of myself. Like, I'm, you know, I'm about to turn 40 now. So I look at that book and I think, my God, I would never write that stuff now. Like, I'm like, you can't say that. Why did you say Like, you can't. But then I'm so kind of proud and grateful at that kid version of myself that he had the kind of um, chutzpah, arguably stupidity, to, to write something like that because it was written in the spirit of love, but also complete kind of unawareness as to what he was necessarily trying to do. And I think, like, that's a very particular time in a writer's life before they have published a book where they go in with a mixture of wonder and incredible naivety. <laughs> Ignorance is bliss, yeah. right? And, you know, you're very funny and frank about your mum in this book. You know, there's vivid accounts of childbirth, of parental fights, of, you know, just some deadpan trolling as well. Yeah. And I guess how does your family feel about being literary fodder? Oh, they're not just literary fodder. <laughs> Uh, they've been stage fodder, they've been documentary fodder. So, that, you know, there's a two-part series on the ABC which you can still watch on iview called Waltzing the Dragon where I've, I got travel around China and Australia looking at Chinese-Australian history. So you get my real parents in, in that documentary series. But, you know, if you've read the book or if you've seen that documentary or met them um, at a festival, uh, you would know that my family's boundaries are very, very different to other families <laughs> and lie somewhere west of Wrongtown. So um, they, they like it. And I'm, all, I'm also a part of a family where I've got two siblings. I've got four siblings, but I'm just going to focus on the two. I've got two siblings who are also uh, storytellers as well. So my sister Tammy is a photojournalist and photo documentarian, and my sister Michelle who's also at the festival, is um, an author and a playwright and a screenwriter. And we also take inspiration from our... We all take inspiration from our family as well. So it's kind of a trade now. <laughs> they have to be OK with it. It's like, Ben, can we get some royalty checks for yeah, this, yeah, yeah, please? Yeah. I shout them a lot of dinners. <laughs> <laughs> you use humour a lot in your work as well. Um, and it's very disarming. Um, and I'm wondering if that is kind of... A, a kind of a sneaky way to tell tell truths in a way. I don't want to be that Writers' Festival guest that quotes dead white men. <laughs> but as Oscar Wilde once said, <laughs> if you're going to tell people the truth, make them laugh, otherwise they'll kill you. <laughs> I do think there's some truth in that, actually, um, because, you know, it, it can be... Uh, my, my, my natural instinct is to kind of um, cover pain with, with, with humour. Not, not even cover it, but deliver it with humour, because I actually feel like that's more what real life is. I'm sure you've been to weddings that are tragic, and I'm sure you've been to funerals that had some kind of, like, weird humorous incident in there. Like, the line between tragedy and comedy, I'm not saying anything new, is, is quite thin, I think. And I think when you honour um, the humour in a situation, often you're honouring the gravity and the sorrow of a situation as well. So my natural instinct is to capture that all. Yes, I definitely feel that. Thank you. Thank you, Ben. Speaking of gravity, you know, Jackie's book is just incredible. You know, it really takes you there. 
And Jackie's book, The Eulogy, tells the story of the Bradley household. And the protagonist is the youngest of eight um, who grows up with a volatile and often violent mother. Um, as an adult, she has to come to terms with her family's past as she grapples with the loss of her beloved Annie, her sister with a disability. And this work of autofiction mirrors Jackie's own experiences. And I was wondering, Jackie, if you could read an excerpt of the book. Thanks, Sarah. Um, I will read the excerpt that you helped to choose. (laughs) 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 Which is very, I mean, it was very good, actually, because I had no idea what to read. So, um, it's my job to write your eulogy, but every time I try to think of an amusing anecdote that sums up your life, I find myself asking, how did we get here? Not in a general sense, but specifically here, with me sitting in a car I have been living in for the last 24 hours, a husband on my blocked caller list, an airtight Tupperware container filled with the finely blended powder of 300 sleeping pills in the glove box, and you, or what is left of you, currently in transit from the Logan Hospital morgue to Angel Companion's funeral home. I left the hospital an hour ago and have spent the time since sitting in my car, staring at a blank laptop screen. It's not as if your death was unexpected, That's not what confounds me. Yet here I am trying to work out if the general conflict of 1983, because there was certainly enough mayhem to go around, I do not claim sole license to suffering in the Bradley household, was enough to trigger one cell, then another in your brain to turn radioactive. I suppose I'm asking, for 25 years I've been asking, did you get sick to protect me? Wow. Such a powerful excerpt. Um, Thank you for reading that, Jackie. Um, Now, you had to really reach back into some past trauma for your competition entry, Jackie, which is now expanded into this book form um, and published this year. Uh, Congratulations. The book, the book. (laughs) Yes. Um, And, you know, Alice Fung has called it brutal and funny and full of love. Um, I guess how hard was it for you to reconstruct that painful past that inspired this book? Um, yeah, thanks for the really easy question, Sarah. Like, <laughs> just getting in there, just diving into the gravity, yeah. you know. Um, my first ever festival as a writer and she just goes there. Yeah. So, um, but fair enough, like so did I. So, yeah, it was really hard. Like yeah. there's, no, there's no way to sugarcoat that. It's really hard going back into all that childhood trauma. Um, I was lucky that as I was writing it... Um, My husband was writing his um, sort of autobiographical play, A Practical Guide to Self-Defence, which is um, all about the kind of racist fights that he got into as a young Chinese-Australian man growing up um, in Sydney. And a little plug for him, I'm pretty sure he's here. So, yeah, that's coming out later this year at Theatre of Parramatta in Merigong. And he would come out, like, we'd, we'd go off and do our thing. We're both, like, morning writers. And we'd kind of meet up at lunchtime or morning tea time. And I would look like I'd just been beaten up. And he would look like he'd just beaten someone up. <laughs> and, we, you know, we'd kind of commiserate and then go back into our little rooms and be like, see you on the other side. <laughs> <laughs> Jackie, what about um, the descriptions of violence? And I'm wondering how you approach that as an author, both in terms of craft, but also protecting yourself as well when you revisit that and kind of portray it in your work. What was that process like for you? Yeah, it was an interesting process, Ben. It was sort of like um, I would just write what I remembered 
or what my sisters remembered. So my book is auto-fiction, so it's partly based on truth or my version of the truth and partly fiction. So um, for anybody with small children in this room, I did not actually kidnap a child. Okay. <laughs> um, there's no actual protection order against me. Um, but, yeah, in terms of the, the family violence, yeah, I just had to write it as, as it had happened or as I had been told that it had happened. And then I would go I would I did a lot of sleeping and walking like I'd just go to bed quite often my, my head just needed a break and then I'd get out into the forest so that's what I did in, in order to manage writing the violence in terms of the way I wrote the violence um, you know I wrote a lot of different scenes and I um, I did this book as part of a PhD so I had access to readers and you know and they sometimes told me you know that's actually a bit too much you know, um, and sometimes I disagreed with them. And I was like, well, no, I mean, this is, this is what violence is. Violence is too much. <laughs> so, but, but whenever a reader tells you something, they're identifying an issue is what I've come to realise. They're identifying an issue, but their solution might not be the right solution. So for me, that might mean, okay, well, maybe it's something to do with the pacing or the placement or, or the description, or maybe I need to break up the mood a little bit, but it's not necessarily that I can't tell my truth the process of writing it for you, you know, was it reparative, was it therapeutic? Like how did you um, deal with your, your, also your family reading it or, you know, also accessing the book, thinking about that? Um, yeah, good question. I haven't actually dealt with my family. Really. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, no, that, I have told them all. I've, mm -hmm. I'm, I have a big family, so I have told all of them and... I told them like a while ago because I was doing it as part of the PhD and sort of gave them the opportunity to tell me if there was anything that they weren't comfortable with and that kind of thing. Because when I say it's my version of the truth, you know, they've each got different versions of, of, this, of a shared story. So I definitely wanted to give them that opportunity. But I was fairly, like Ben, a bit of a sociopath about it. Like you do have to be like, well, yeah, I will invite that in, but it is my story ultimately, and I'm the one putting myself through the re-traumatisation process to put this on the page. So you can give me <laughs> you give me your input, sure. <laughs> um, but actually, it was it was fine, and I feel like I've got a pretty good relationship with um, with a few of my sisters. Um, such a big family, obviously not all of them. <laughs> so um, so we could have that conversation. Yeah. Now, was it therapeutic? Um, not as therapeutic as I thought it would be. You know, people say that writing about your family story can be, like, really therapeutic or cathartic and so on. For me, it was actually quite traumatic and I sort of remembered a whole bunch of stuff and I actually kind of unresolved a bunch of issues by doing it, um, which I thought I'd managed to resolve with, my, with various people in, in the family and in my past. Um, but in a way, that was not so much therapeutic as beneficial because it means that it gave me an opportunity to, to like to see the, the truth of, of some of that family history and it, it allowed me to see myself and my parents more clearly, good and bad, yeah, and to be grateful for what I should be grateful for and hold them responsible for things that they, that they should be held accountable for. Jackie, we introduced you as someone who works in the death industry. Can you expand on what it is that you actually do, the extent to which that informs your book? And I also wonder the extent to which 
you working in, 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 in an industry where you have to be frank about things that people don't want to talk about or confront actually helps you as an author? Yes, that's an interesting question. I'd, I'd actually say it's the other way around, that the writing has allowed me to work in with death. Yeah, because um, it was actually like my sister, um, in real life, my sister Alison, died in 2015 after a lifetime of living with cancer and disability. And so she is at the heart of this book. She's who this book is for. It's about me and her, really. And after she died, I finished, well, I took a little bit of time off this writing project and then I finished it. And then I became a, um, a funeral director and celebrant and death walker. And it was her funeral, actually, that showed me how healing um, a funeral can be that you know it can you can either have a festering wound or a clean wound um, either way it's a wound you know a death is a wound to your soul and to yourself and it can either get infected and kind of gangrenous or it can be clean and it can heal and so that's what I wanted to give other people so I went off and trained um, as an interfaith minister and a funeral director and and I do that work with people and I just I've always been obsessed with death you know like when you when you're a kid and your sister is diagnosed with terminal cancer, like, you're going to be thinking about death <laughs> for the rest of your life. Um, so it was a really comfortable space for me to be in. And talking to people about death and dying feels like just such a genuine, authentic and privileged thing to do. And I just, I just love it. Yeah. And anybody else who works in that sector, we're kind of, we're deathies and we... Um, and, and, like, we get it. We get it totally. It's such a compelling, beautiful, sacred, um, confronting place to spend your time. And does the impermanence of life through that work help you go there in your writing? Say, look, screw it. We're going to be dead one day. I want to go there. Yeah, I think so. I think, again, it was more... That's actually just... Like, I think I'm the oldest person on this panel. I'm 45. Um, and that's just a product of turning 40, like, if anybody else, 40, like, once you're a 40-year-old woman, you're just like, I, don't, I just do not have any more Fs to give. Like, <laughs> seriously, it's all out there. Put it all out there. <laughs> Love it. Thank you so much, Jackie. No, um, uh, going to Alana, you know, you won the 2020 SBS Emerging Writers Competition for your entry, Medium Beige, Alana, which was just stunning. And, you know, it tells a story of you um, coming of age in 1990s Beige Australia, um, you know, with a white dad um, and a black mum uh, who immigrated from PNG and kind of coming to terms with your own mixed race identity while copying casual racism, you know, from, from a boyfriend. Um, and Ben, who was a judge that year, you know, he described your piece as a self-contained gut punch of a story. And I know that it affected him deeply. So I was wondering if you could read an excerpt from your story. Yes, I can. Okay. Um, okay. That you chose yourself, obviously. You know. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. And, and by the way, thank you for having me. This is extremely exciting. And here I go. I apologise I didn't iron my shirt. I just don't do those things. Um, okay. So, through Honda Boy, I saw teenage white culture. The music and skating, the casual misogyny, the cruelty of class. I was white enough to be accepted, to have the privilege of not noticing how I was exoticized by this white boy. The thing he said, the thing I will never forget. You know, I wouldn't be with you if you looked like your mother. Honda boy would have been lucky if my mother looked twice at him. He was afraid of her blackness and of what it represented to me. 
Wow. Yeah. <clears throat> like there's so much to unpack in, in that paragraph. Um, and the whole story is just amazing. Please um, have a look and Google online. Um, but, you know, that, that story went straight to the heart. You know, you know I wouldn't be with you if you looked like your mother. Gosh, how, how was that to write, Alana? Um, relatively easy with uh, the computer that I have. Um, <laughs> no, um, how was it to write? I think, you know, really just listening to what Jackie was saying and what, uh, and what Ben said before, these experiences that inform you um, just sort of sit in the back of your mind in your subconscious and, and so when you decide to write or, or decide to be somebody who writes, um, it just all sort of froths up and there's no real consideration or, or self-analysis that occurs during the process, at least not for me, um, that comes much later when, when friends read it, when people you trust read it, which I do all the time now. I, you know, with this competition, I, I gave it to several uh, trusted friends who had different specialties and asked for their insight and, uh, and reflections on it. So during the process of writing that actual line, it was just like, like Jackie said, just kind of coming from memory and, um, and yeah, it was as easy to write as all the rest of the lines. But I think it took, again, like what Ben said in terms of using your family as fodder, um, like multi-platform fodder, right? Like <laughs> I um, had written plays about mum. I'd written, I, I also did that short film, which was, you know, an idea I'd been kicking around for a long time in my family because what else experience do you have when you're, you know, growing up, that this is your material. These people around you is your, is your material. Everything around you is material. So, um, yeah, basically I just sat, sat in that. And as I said, when we were kind of talking about this and something, Ben, that you said in your interview to the people who were, um, you know, before I applied, before I wrote anything in one of his, one of your uh, promotional material interviews, you said, um, find the thing that most excites you and finish it. And I thought there were two important things in that uh, statement. One is the thing that really moves you and wants and, and wishes to be told, whatever that, whatever that story is, um, and finish it, you know? Like, um, so that's, because all these plays, these things, I wrote drafts and I was like, so precious, it's so precious. And then it's like, not ready. It wasn't ready. I needed to draft it, I needed to process it. And so really in many ways, um, that sentiment, this, some of the kind of embarrassing things in that or whatever they may feel, um, I had long since processed those. This was just a story I was finally able to apply craft to. Mm. Alana, this whole session is about what if my mum reads this? And you and I, I guess, uh, are working in a tradition of writing about our mums. And even just from those lines from this incredible story, you know, those kind of lines really, really stay with the reader. And I wonder if you could tell us a little bit more about your mum and what compels you to write about her and your relationship with her? Um, yeah, I think there's something that happens when you, um, you go on a great adventure with one person. You know, like she, her, she and I, I didn't actually live in Australia with my dad, he stayed in PNG, as did the rest of my siblings. Uh, because of the, the situation in Papua New Guinea at the time, it's very dangerous, so just mum and I came. And I think uh, when you have this, uh, A, a single parent, um, and also migrant parent, you're both migrants, and, and you move to this place where you're extremely different. There's all these factors that contribute to making you feel like it's just you two against the world or whatever. Um, and then there's all these status shift things that can happen as well about um, becoming your carer's carer, you know, and, and sometimes being the translator uh, as, a, as a product of hybridized sort of social and cultural 
in-betweenism, I, I, I became somebody who translated a lot for her. Um, and she culturally translated for me too, but because of her own complicated history with uh, being kicked out of the village because of marrying a white man, um, coming to Australia, being covered literally in cultural tattoos, all these signifiers that um, meant that both of us to each other were alien, but at the same time our combined experience makes us essentially mirrored reflections of each other's experience and the keepers of each other's history and futures, if you know what I mean. So, um, yeah, that's, that's her. She's funny. <laughs> She's a very funny, funny lady. When did you, I guess, know that that kernel of experience, your mum and that, that struggle with your identity and your mixed-race identity was something that was this kernel of conflict in the intestine that you needed to pluck out and have a look at? Yeah, so funny that you say that. It's like metamucil of the soul. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I'm flowery today. I'm flowery today. I've got something personal happening at the moment I don't need to tell you about. Um, but, uh, yeah, why, how did it come? You know, like, I've been writing about all weird, random stuff. I love absurdist stuff. I love absurdist comedy. And, you know, Ben, you probably relate. You're influenced by all this sort of... Um, British American stuff all the time and you and you sometimes in my early years I reflected that a lot and and I just was kind of trying to squeeze myself into a certain you know category or hole and uh, it wasn't quite fitting wasn't quite working and I and I understand now and I feel like especially this panel represents this wave of new uh, reckoning of new stories and, and interesting really niche kind of material that's coming out from the from the dark corners of the world which are really need to be seen and heard um, so essentially once I started writing about mum in a way that uh, was a little bit more, um, had, like I said before, had a little bit more craft applied to it and I, I kind of started doing some things like getting people to read it and doing, more, doing two drafts, you know. Um, <laughs> you know, I started to understand that perhaps there were people out there who, who, to whom this kind of resonated with, so yeah. Mm. So, Alana, you've written the short story. You're developing it into a longer piece, a novel, as well as a script. It's about your mum. Has your mum read the story and the other works that you're writing about her? She purely consumes South Korean soap dramas. <laughs> um, I respect that. <laughs> uh, actually, the short story, um, the, the novel I'm writing, Ben, is about a haunted dressing table. It's got nothing to do with anything. Uh. I don't know what's going on there. But the, um, <laughs> the show, this, this sort of TV show idea, which, you know, it, it probably won't happen everybody. I'm sorry. You know, these things, you don't know. It, it might, it might not, whatever. Mm -hmm. But uh, it's just a wonderful way to explore the story, the world, and, yeah. and to expand upon it. Um, you know, just for myself, like Jackie was saying, it's something that you almost just need to do, you know, mm. just to do it, and uh, that's kind of it. Does it. So if she hasn't read the work, does mm. that bother you, or would it bother you more if she did read the work? It doesn't bother me what she does, to be honest. Like, she, she always says, you know, I knew you could do it. This is the thing she says, mm. oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of you, or whatever. I don't think she uses the word proud, actually. I've never heard. But she does say, <laughs> um, she does, she, she respects that I'm doing my thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and whatever she wants to do, she'll do. If she wants to read it one day, she will. But uh, ultimately, I, like, like I said before, I basically just translated it to her and said I want a little bit of money and she asked me to order her some bit nut. <laughs> <laughs> it can be intimidating writing about family members. I guess what was your, your thought process and some of the advice that you got on how to go about it, basically? Just treat people kindly and tell the truth. You know, that's pretty much it. And just be respectful of people's stories. Thank you. That's beautiful, I think. Yeah. Um, Kat, uh, last but not least, 
You know, your first place winning story um, for the 2021 Emerging Writers Competition was about your encounter with white men um, who often exoticised you and growing up working class in a house marked with domestic violence. It's a powerful piece. It was just a standout. It had so many layers to it. Um, and Kat is 20... 26. 26 years old, guys. <laughs> Amazing. And I guess if you could please read an excerpt of your piece, it'd be great. Uh, yeah, I can. And Sarah chose the most embarrassing paragraph. Um, <laughs> the most powerful. I the can't powerful. read this without laughing. <laughs> um, but it goes, the men I date are mostly kind, but white. There is always something to explain. I get you're vegan, but mum steams a ginger and soy sauce fish for guests. Mum cooks dinner in the shed because she doesn't want to mess up the kitchen. <laughs> the first question mum will ask is how much you earn. Other men are less kind, but still white. They clutch my body hungrily and moan in my ear. I've always wanted to pound a tight, <laughs> a tight Asian pussy. <laughs> oh, dear. No, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> That's an incredible, incredible passage. Um, no, because seriously, like, it's so taboo to write about sex, especially negative se sexual encounters, and you really, like, you know, put yourself on the line in this, um, and you write about things that other people would normally bury, I think. Yeah, so my other aim in writing is just to make people feel less alone. Kat, one of the, one of the things I really... <laughs> One of the things I really admire about your work and when you're talking about, you know, you want to write about things that um, aren't often spoken about, don't have a spotlight on them, and one of the things is class, you know, and I think in Australia we do have a huge problem of not wanting to even admit that class exists, you know, that myth of egalitarianism that we're all the same sometimes blinds us to the fact that a lot of people are disadvantaged as well, right? Um, you write about not having money, poverty. Um, could you read another except from your piece where you kind of bring this up in a very detailed way that I think is incredibly powerful? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, it goes, uh, there are no signs in my apartment that I dream of being a writer. When you are poor, what you own mostly says you are poor. And I'm mostly desensitised to my surroundings. When I move into my current share house, I don't notice the black mildew covering the bathroom walls. It doesn't occur to me that the suit staining the old beige carpet won't budge when several months later I scrub, anxious over the prospect of a date staying the night. Tell me about, you know, evoking that sort of setting. You know, when you, when you show Don't Tell, you know, like you are showing us the kind of the surrounds of that. Yeah, what was it like to write that passage? What, what did it require of you? Hmm... I think when you're ashamed and embarrassed about something, you don't really have to conjure the details. You know specifically what you're embarrassed about. I remember always I was walking through my apartment and looking at the carpet and just thinking, oh my God, this, why is this so black? <laughs> no one could ever see this. And when I'm writing, I really want to capture things as they were for it to feel really real. And I think it is all about the minor details, the, the blackness of the carpet, the mold on on the walls, I think all those things make a, a piece come to life. Is it almost like by spotlighting the shame, that in itself, the act, becomes an antidote to shame? I think for me it is, like, quite cathartic to put out <laughs> my secrets into the world <laughs> and, and you kind of feel like, okay, it's out now, like, 
I've kind of claimed power <laughs> over that, um, and I, I've made the choice to kind of speak about it, and I feel like once you've made the choice to speak about something you're embarrassed about or ashamed about, there's like a little bit of power that no one can take away from you. And I love for how each, each one of you, you know, I think that's where the power comes from, great writing. It's you are confronting the biggest conflict in your life, the biggest vulnerability, your family, you know, being mixed race, your mother, you know, sex and shame. Like it's almost as if you've, you've kind of that kernel, that thing that, that, that kind of gnaws at you, you've looked at it, you've aired it, you know, and that takes so much courage. Um, I think that's why we're all here to learn how to do what you do. And I guess, you know, going back to the panel topic, how was it received by your mum? <laughs> um, so my mum's English isn't the best. So um, I don't think she was probably able to understand every word. I, I don't know if she knows what a tight Asian pussy is. Um, I, I hope she does not. <laughs> I really hope not. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, but <laughs> while I was writing the piece, um, I asked her a lot of questions about what it was like when she first came to, to Australia, because I didn't, I wanted to get the details right, and I didn't necessarily know the details at the time. Um, so I asked her about her first public housing room, and I asked her about how she met dad, and I didn't tell her I was writing the piece, because um, I didn't think anything would come out of it, and I thought better not to bother her. But she guessed, like, right away that I was writing something, and she seemed, like, really thrilled and delighted to, that someone was interested in all those memories that she has had. That I imagine she doesn't really have a, a many opportunities to talk about. Um, and yeah, similar to Alana, when I won, she was just, I think she was just really thrilled about the money. <laughs> 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 so, Kat, that's the reaction from your mum, or at least with the money. Uh, what, what's the reaction been like from other readers within your family, from outside of your family? What have been the reactions that have been surprising? Mm, the most surprising reaction was definitely my brother. My piece talks about some of our experiences living in a, in a household with violence and also a household... Um, where there wasn't always a huge amount of money. And we didn't really talk a lot about these um, experiences once we got into adulthood. And he's like a really well-adjusted guy. <laughs> like he's really charismatic and outgoing. Um, and he just... I always wondered, like, like, have I overreacted about our childhood? Like he seems so normal. Like did I make some of it up? And always wondered if he, I don't know, I always, we never really had that kind of shared understanding because we didn't talk about it. And then the piece came out um, and I told him about it and he actually shared it on his Facebook page um, with like a comment saying, um, saying to his friends, um, I've never shared um, these experiences with you, but if you're interested in like a part of my life that I've never shared about, um, read this story written by my sister. I couldn't be more proud. Um, oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I was just really happy he was kind of able to share that part of him with, yeah, with his friends. Um, and I guess that's what I was talking about and like feeling less alone and just seeing your experiences on a page. I think it, 
it makes you feel the experiences can be processed and spoken about and put into kind of like a narrative structure where you can make sense of it a little bit. I think that is the power of writing your story um, and writing your truths is that not only can it free you, but it also can be so validating and freeing for other people, like what you did for your brother. And I guess, you know, your piece also went viral um, online, which is a very modern phenomenon, um, on the uh, Facebook page, Subtle Asian Traits. Um, what was that like to go viral? What kind of messages were you getting from people? Um, I was pretty funny because I had, like, seen that group before and <laughs> I never really thought there'd be, like, a post about me <laughs> in the group. But I got, like... Um, I've got, like, kind of, like, hundreds of people, like, sending me, like, DMs and a, quite a few of them said, like, I've never read something and felt so represented or, or, or so understood. And that's really... I was just so happy that I was able to achieve that goal I had of making people feel less alone. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of people said that the piece made them cry. Like, I, I got at least, like, three messages about people crying on public transport. <laughs> and um, it, I, I, I want with my writing for people to feel that there's someone else who's gone through difficult things and to feel less alone. But it has, I think, shaped what I want to do if I ever write again. I always want to keep exploring these difficult topics, but I want whatever I write next to have a happy ending or to have joyful moments so that if someone's going through those difficult experiences, maybe even if they haven't had that happy ending yet or those joyful moments, if they see themselves in those experiences, maybe the writing can make them believe that there's something good waiting for them. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh, beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you to our whole panel. Can we give them a... Round of applause. Amazing. Um, now we have plenty of time for questions, so if you do have a question, please come up to the microphone. Um, Be brave, people. Come on, you could do it. You could do it. Be brave like these writers are brave. <laughs> um, you can come to the mic. Um, yep, yeah, awesome. Hello, everyone. My name is Alex. Um, you're all incredibly eloquent human beings, so thank you so much for being here. Everything has been so inspiring. Um, I'm currently in the process of writing my own autobiographical play, which has been a very confronting experience in and of itself, and I have been exploring some similar themes to you, Kat, with kind of exploring sex and my run-ins with it and romance and all of that and what it means to be a young woman in this world. And when I set out to write this play, I set the goal for myself of making people feel less alone. And so hearing you say that was really, really special today. Um, I suppose what I wanted to ask I, is when you write about yourself, do you get to this place where people come to you and say that your work has resonated, where you feel less alone? and where your um, sort of bravery gets you to this place where you are able to lead your life differently from kind of a, a different, a new perspective or something like that. I just wonder what the effect of your own writing has on the way that you lead your own lives. That's a really good question. Yeah. Kat, do you want to tackle that one? Yeah, sure. sure. Um, I think that having that piece out in the world and winning the competition, I think it had a really big impact. Um, I think being able to put yourself on a page and being able to say, like, this is who I am yeah. and 
if you want to know me, you can just read this piece of writing. That is a pretty big thing. And honestly, it was always something I looked for in relationships. I always hoped I would meet someone and they would, like, they would fully understand me and, like, and, like that, would, that was, like, what I wanted from life. Yeah. <laughs> and then... I wrote this piece and I really feel like it captured something essential about me and I put that out in, there in the world. I think it's like the best feeling and so I hope you'll be able to do that with the play and you'll really feel you like captured your story and yourself in words and if people come in and say that you made them feel less alone, like you should like feel so thrilled. <laughs> and Jackie, I was wondering if, you know, uh, yeah, telling your story and expressing yourself in a certain way in the world, does that change you? Yeah, it's a really good question. <laughs> um, I mean, it took me a long time to write this. I wrote it on and off over like eight years. I always say I started it when my daughter was a baby and she's 10 now. Um, she's in the audience. <laughs> <laughs> um, so time changes you as well. But, yeah. um, but I agree with Kat that just writing it and saying, you know what, this matters. My version of life matters. Yeah, there's something special about that and just owning your own space, you know, and even if it doesn't go anywhere else, yeah. something changes. There's a little bit of alchemy in narrating your mm. life and as a funeral celebrant and director, I, I, I see this all the time actually at a funeral where you work with people and it's the first time that a lot of people, when they talk to me after a family death, it's one of the first times that they... Um, start to tell the story mm -hmm. of their person in a different way and they start to narrate it and you see something shift and something happen and something spark and people stand up a little straighter because they've got, they've got a story. Mm -hmm. um, they've got a story that they can hold on to and it's theirs and they can tell it and, they, and that's what this is. That's what my book is. It's that this is the eulogy for my sister, mm -hmm. Alison, and it's me saying, you know, she mattered. Like she was sick and disabled and the kind of person that uh, the previous government would have said didn't matter. <laughs> but, um, but I said she, she does. And you, you do that about yourself when you write your story. Like, you know what? I matter. Yeah. Gosh, beautiful. I, that's a really good question. So I'm actually going to take everyone in that. Um, yeah, does changing a story change you? Does, does, does telling your story change you? Yeah, well, what's the point of anything if not to forge connections with other humans on this yeah weird falling rock like <laughs> like um I, I saw a piece of graph in Newtown that said who writes your part and I took a photo of it and it was my screensaver because it's like well we, we have to be the authors of our own narrative otherwise we just get pushed around all the time and um and other people determine or, or define us and so you, you need to write that story it's your your story it's awesome good luck and also I just want to go to Ben too because you know you wrote that book before diversity was a buzzword you know before like you were I'm you, really you, old just telling your story and telling it in different ways does it help you kind of understand yourself differently I really love your question, Alex, because um, it actually made me also think of something that Kat was saying before, which is writing helps you. I mean, for some people it's therapeutic, um, but even when you approach it as pure craft, you know, like I want to write a story with great narrative tension mm -hmm. and it is about something that happened to me, putting structure around a mess 
is really, really helpful in helping you understand what actually happened. It might not be therapeutic, you know, like um, something that you said, Jackie, also resonates with me, which is sometimes you dig up stuff and you realise it's actually unresolved, actually. There's, it's actually more thorny than you thought it was. But acknowledging that and clocking that is also important for you as well. And so I think there's the importance for you as a writer and there's importance for you as a human being. And I think whenever I approach writing, what I realise from the process now, it's usually me trying to make sense of something messy, which is life. Yeah, beautiful. And I think that's a good, important note, Ben, that, you know, all of you are writing about your life, but you're artists and memoir is an art form and it requires skill and great, you know, um, artistry, you know, and, and that can't be negated. So thank you so much for your question. That's thank brilliant. You thank you so very much. Thank you. Um, we have another question. Hello. Hi, my name is Shema. <laughs> and my question is, so when you go through a traumatic experience, you or some people, I assume, um, would bury some a lot of that traumatic experience. But of course, when you have to write about it, you basically you're digging up all that um, to the surface again. So first, um, did you find it difficult retrieving those memories first? Um, and if so, how do you deal with that? Um, and I also have another question um, with the reaction that you would receive from people, um, whether that's negative reaction, um, like a backlash or something, or just sympathy, which personally I don't like, I don't I hate it when people, you know, be like, oh, okay, I sympathize with you. It's, low. it's more like, I'm not asking for your sympathy, I'm asking for something else. Um, so how, how do you deal with that? Beautiful question. Um, yeah, like how do you, how do you deal with the aftermath of that emotional excavation, A? And, um, yeah, how do you deal with negative reactions or even worse, pity? Yeah. Is there anyone? Wanna, Alana, do you want to tackle that Oh, sure. I mean, um, yeah, because you write so long ago as well sometimes, this was published in 2020, you've kind of moved on to other things and sometimes people will come back and say, what, tell me about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And you're like, okay. oh, man, I'm doing something else. So, you, um, <laughs> you know, you do sometimes feel like, but that's, that's the, the, the reader's interpretation and I, you know, honour that interpretation as well. But just on your first question, um, I, I personally sometimes think I, I couldn't necessarily write about trauma if I hadn't yet resolved it within myself, just, just for me anyway, that's my POV. Um, yeah, I, I kind of needed to process some stuff before I was able to reflect on it objectively and not react too emotionally to some things. Just yeah. my opinion. Was that true for you too, Jackie? Like, did you have to come to a place of maturity in your 40s to be able to tackle this work? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I couldn't have written. I couldn't have written in my 20s. I mean, I was always writing, but I wasn't writing about this. And this was something that I had to write about. So I enrolled in a PhD to make me write about it. <laughs> Otherwise, you know, I just wouldn't have. I knew I had to, but I just didn't. I knew I wouldn't. So that's how I made myself do it. And digging it all up, um, I mean, it's all there. <laughs> it, didn't, it wasn't like super hard to dig up. It was harder to put it back than to dig up, you know what I mean? It's hard to rebury. But, you know, what you do is you write a book and then you set it alight. You know, it goes up in smoke then. That's, that's the blaze. <laughs> so um, just put your scaffolding in place. You know, have your mental health care plan. I do a lot of exercise and, um, and a lot of naps. And I have, I have good, a good husband and a good daughter. So just make sure you've got your supports in place. Yeah. And if you need to have a break, just have a break. 
you know, because writers can really be like, oh, no, I must keep writing every day, blah, blah, blah. Like, you actually don't have to. <laughs> you don't have to, especially if it's this stuff. Yeah. I mean, and Kat, for you, what's your self-care process like? Hmm. <laughs> um, I probably would agree with Alana and Jackie. I probably was only able to write about being poor because when I wrote it, I was like a bit poor, but like not that poor. Like, <laughs> I, don't know, I was like, I don't know, maybe on like a, like I had like my first job. It like wasn't a good salary, but I had a job. <laughs> so I could like begin to approach it. Um, but on your, on your question about what to do about like erection of pity, um, I think that can be a really motivating challenge to say for yourself to write something that preempts um, a reaction of pity. That was personally something I really set for myself that I wanted to be able to write about poor people or people who have experienced violence and not just have a reaction of like, oh, that's <laughs> poor you. Um, so I wrote about my mum who maybe her life doesn't look great on paper, but I wrote about how um, she's, she had all these big dreams of going to school and, and, and I think if you read the piece, you get a sense that she's kind of, she's, she's had a pretty amazing life in her own right. Um, so I think if that's an, a reaction that you're really not wanting to have, you can ask yourself, what is it in my experiences that make it that I don't pity myself? Like, what do I really want to capture on a page? And if you are really worried, about, I think if you're worried about your experiences, um, I think how to know you're ready to write about the experiences is that you can look at what you've written on a page and you can think like, I'm okay with this. If like I'm not ashamed of it, like it's it might be a bit shitty, it might be a bit sad, but like it's what happened and it's true. And then you can just release that into the world. Oh, beautiful. Thank you. Thank you, Shema and Alex, for amazing questions. Um, yeah, one more quick question. Okay. Hi, everyone. Thank you for your words. They were really beautiful and profound. Um, my name is Ravina. I'm writing a story about grief, um, obviously something that's very personal, but, um, you know, grief as a story, it involves other people a lot. So how do you balance sharing your own story truthfully with um, respecting other people's privacy and, um, you know, not knowing what they may be comfortable sharing this feels like a question for you, Jackie. Yes. Can we do it in 30 seconds? <laughs> okay. Um, I don't know your own story, of course, and your own circumstances, but with, um, with mine, like, it's kind of a memoir of grief. I just wrote it. I didn't ask permission from anybody. But when it got to the point when it looked like it would actually be shared with the world, that's when I called my sisters and was like, you know, I've written this thing... Do you want to, is there anything you want to say? Um, but it's ultimately yours, you know. So I, I wouldn't be trying to think about everybody else while you're writing it. Um, I think that comes later. I mean, but absolutely do it. Like, I'm not saying, you know, just put it out there and, like, you know, screw everybody. Like, of course not, because, you know, these are your people, these are your family and your friends and stuff, and you've got to live with them afterwards. <laughs> yeah. Um, but don't think about it while you're writing it. That's yeah. my advice. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Jackie. And thank you to Ben. Thank you to our panellists, past winners of the Emerging Writers Competition, Alana Kat, published author Jackie. Let's give them a round of applause. Thank you. Thank you so much. And
And all you emerging writers, before you leave, please look out for this year's SBS Emerging Writers Competition launch at the end of July. We will publicly announce now for the first time that our judges this year will be Alice Fung and Christos Schulkes. So please go to the SBS Voices website for more information. Yep, and just a reminder, are there are copies of the 2020 competition anthology Roots featuring Jackie and Alana's stories on sale at the festival. And there is also, of course, Jackie's book, The Eulogy, on sale exclusively, I reckon, here, basically, before it's out everywhere in two weeks. Um, on August the 3rd, the new anthology from the 2021 competition Between Two Worlds featuring Cats writing will be on sale. And on August 30, people, Sarah Malik's book. Yeah. A collection of memoir stories, Desi Girl, on race, feminism, faith and belonging will be available. The authors um, will be at the signing table, so meet them over there and buy copies of your book, their book, um, and have a great Sydney Writers Festival, everyone. Thank you for coming. Well, we hope you enjoyed that special recording from the Sydney Writers' Festival and it's given you some motivation to share your own stories. I actually really loved Alana Hicks's advice for writing memoir, treat people kindly and tell the truth. It's almost like a mantra to live by. Yeah, that was actually just a beautiful piece of advice there. Um, so thanks for reminding us of that, Caitlin. And a reminder to our listeners, if you are looking for some inspiration for your entry, you can read the top 30 entries from last year in the new SBS anthology Between Two Worlds, which is published by Hardy Grant and is out now. Don't forget the 2022 SBS Emerging Writers' Competition is now open for entries. Entries close on September 13. Write on the theme of emergence for your chance to be awarded the $5,000 first place prize, $3,000 for second place, or two runners-up prizes of $1,000. The top entries will also be published in an anthology by Hardy Grant. This is the last episode before our competition closes, so we'd like to wish everyone the best of luck with their entries, and we hope this podcast has inspired you to enter and keep writing. If you want to find out more, head to sbs.com.au slash writers and make sure you follow the New Writers Room podcast. The New Writers Room is produced by Caitlin Chang and Sarah Malik with audio production by Jeremy Wilmot. Our executive producers are Natalie Hambley and Danielle Teutsch. For regular updates, you can find SBS Voices on Facebook and on Twitter. to reset great minds is a podcast from sbs that guides you through different meditation styles from around the world listen wherever you get your podcasts